Welcome back to another episode of Conservative Conversations with your hosts, Reed and Frank. How are you today, Frank? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm pretty good also, and um, glad to be getting back to it after our little vacation. Yes, we did just have a nice holiday, didn't we? Sure did. It was uh, good to get away for a bit. I had two weeks off. Oh, you lucky dog. I know, I had two weeks. I think you only had the one, didn't you? Yep, only had my one week off. But that's all right, it was a good time. Yes, it was nice to spend a little bit of it with you. And um, I know we got some good uh, additional future content for the listeners out of it. So that'll be good to look forward to. That's right. Well, let's get started with our show today. I had a quick question that I wanted to kind of pick your brain about. I was taking a survey for Lyft uh, the other day, the rideshare company. I'm sure most people know. Mm-hmm. And um, they were mostly asking about like uh, how I how I think I'll be using... You know, ride share or other transportation in the next three months and how I think the next three months looks for, you know, COVID and stuff like that. But near the end, uh, they got to, like, the demographic type of questions. And, of course, like pretty much all surveys, they ask uh, for your race and or ethnicity. And it all of a sudden occurred to me why does it matter? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they'd like to know, and I'm sure there's some uses for them to have that data, but especially in this whole, you know, now when we're talking about critical race theory and uh, people complain about white supremacy and stuff like that, and I thought to myself, if I'm going to walk around as a conservative, you know, saying that, race doesn't matter and why would I why do I need to go ahead and tell Lyft I'm a white person taking their survey so I thought to myself that I'll go ahead and just pick prefer not to answer and then I wondered if this could be something that some more people start doing uh maybe other conservatives have had this thought before and uh I wanted to get your opinion on what you think about it when you know when you see that kind of question on a survey or application or what whatever it may be. Well, I'm sure that people have thought about that question before because I mean we've been seeing it forever since grade school. I mean on the mm-hmm. old AC I mean excuse me, I had to take the old SAT 9, the SAT 9 sure. in elementary school. And um, then it was the West test, you know, where we went up through uh, in West Virginia. um, And uh, we had to take those standardized tests pretty often, and they're even right on there. So coming up through school, you have to self-identify on those things. And that's why I think they're allowed to get away with it, because I do think it's pretty much, you know, covertly racist. Um, But since it's just an open-ended question... Um, mm-hmm. where people self-identify, I think they're allowed to get away with 
doing that and having those types of metrics, even though I think they're sure. obviously wrong. And uh, one just little example, you know, like I'm citing to you from my own personal life, um, I've seen um, in my with my own eyes where they don't include prefer not to identify as a category. So that's not even mm -hmm. an option. And you have to pick a race. And what I think is funny is, you know, some people, let me just put it to you this way. Some people Christmas tree those tests, if you know what I mean. Uh, so when it comes to the race question, what if you just treat it the same? What if you identify as black when you're not? Or you put on there that you're, you know, American Samoan when you're not. And you're just horsing around and you're not taking it seriously. Um, I think that's important to to realize uh, is those metrics are already going to be off. So right. I, I don't know how good they even are. I don't, I don't see why there is that question. I think it's absolutely preposterous. Sure. And I had recently done a phone survey too. And that's, I know that they asked the same thing and you know, not to be stereotypical, but Sometimes you can tell people's races by their voice. And I could tell the lady I was, well, I shouldn't say I could tell, but I presumed or assumed uh, she was a black lady. And when she got to that question, I actually kind of felt awkward having to answer it. I don't know really why, but I just did. And that was before I took the lift survey. And then I decided, you know, during that lift survey that's, I'm probably not going to answer the question. If they have the prefer not to answer option on surveys like that, I'm going to start picking that. Well, and I figure a good, a good number of people do. And just because a, a fair number of people do, I don't think it makes the other answers accurate. You know, just because they have that choice. I mean, you might have somebody who identifies... I mean, and especially, I mean, I know I use this phrase a lot. I know I've said it on the channel before. But in this postmodern pick-your-own-future type of, or excuse me, pick-your-own-reality type of world that we're living in right now, people identify mm -hmm. as all kinds of stuff. You know, there was that sto story of the girl who was, uh, I think she was like president of the NAACP, and it turned out she was a white woman. Uh, so... <laughs> There's people who identify as things, and that doesn't really mean anything. What you, you're asking for somebody to self-identify. So I don't think it's really going to fit scientific, uh, you know, definitions, you know, for these categories. The way a scientific mind might categorize somebody might be way different than how they self-identify. Yep. Totally. So I thought that was just uh, you know, kind of something interesting that popped in my head that I thought I might, you know, like I said, get your opinion on, see what you thought. Well, I also, I don't, I don't really believe any particular survey. <laughs> I think, I think I've said before that I only, I only believe the surveys I like. <laughs> <laughs> but I think to be a little more accurate and a little more fair, um, I only seem to quote from surveys I remember, uh, you know, 
But it's very easy to get any particular outcome on any given survey. I think numbers, statistics like this are easily manipulated, you know? So if some government sure. agency starts saying that 85% of people who self-identify as black prefer this or that, I mean, I feel like that's just total garbage because how could how could that number be real? You know, how could they gauge 80? Sure. I just don't believe it. Most things that I hear, I guess, you know? Right. I think that's a, a good segue into one of the articles that I have that we're going to talk about um, regarding statistics. And this is regarding, uh, in particularly, uh, job number. Well, not necessarily job numbers, but um, you know, the unemployment insurance stuff. Um, I recently saw an article uh, on Daily Wire, and it was about this company called Morning Consult, uh, or Consult, um, and they surveyed 463 out-of-work Americans at the end of June, and uh, 13% um, of these people that they surveyed said they refused what well, I'm offers. sorry what was the percentage uh 13% 13. of respondents and there's okay. yeah, 13 refused and there was uh yes refused job offers because they were making enough from unemployment insurance uh without having to work now they told the and survey this right not they obviously wouldn't have told this to unemployment or anything, right? Right, yeah. They, these people are responding to this company that did this survey. Okay, uh, gotcha. Morning Consult. All right. Right. And uh, what made me kind of want to go ahead and jump to this article when you're talking about numbers and surveys and stuff like that is that the headline of the article is that... Um, 1.8 million people um, turned down job offers because of unemployment insurance. And that's and across the nation, they, right? Right, yes. And they, this company that did the survey estimates that based on, at the time of them doing the survey, there was 14.1 million adults receiving benefits. Yeah, a million adults receiving benefits at the time okay. of the survey. So I'm assuming they're taking the 13% of their respondents, which they asked 463 people, right. um, based on that 13% and the fact that there are 14.1 million adults receiving benefits, they estimate the 1.8 refused uh, job offers due to employment insurance. Now, when I first saw that headline, you know, I thought, well, that's, that's a lot of people, and I kind of wondered how they figured that out. And um, I'm only assuming that's how they got to that number. It was based on the 13% of their respondents and comparing it to the amount of people that were receiving benefits. And I thought to myself, well, even if it's not 100, I mean, 1.8 million people, because who knows if that's right or what all... You know, they're really basing that off of, um, you know, 13% of the 463 people, 
uh, that's like at least 60, I'm sure. So if 60 people have no problem telling this survey company that they're not working because they're making enough money from the government paying them right now, you can certainly imagine there's more than that, even if it's not, I mean, I, well, yeah, there is more than that, but even if it's not the 1.8 million, I mean, there's got to be at least half that number, you would think, right? Because there's a lot of people that aren't working. Well, of, that's you know, immediately, of... my immediate first thoughts as I was listening to you and taking notes here is I easily figure that you could figure double what they said. I mean, because you're asking, because you're talking about, once again, I do see the tie-in from the last segment because there's still this question of how people have to self-identify, okay? And what uh, yeah, about the okay, people? What saying, yeah. yeah, and what about the people who would never tell? You know, right. what if they're abusers of the system? And and you know, for them to just answer some survey, sure, they could flippantly say, "Yep, I screwed the government over. Whatever, I'll do it forever till the day I die." They could put that, but there's somebody out there who thinks, "Oh, that might be on a recording. What if the government found out? I can't say that." No, so mm -hmm. they fake it till they die, you know? Um, right. So, yes, I did the math real fast, because like I said, I've been taking notes here. It is exactly 60 out of 463. Um, so just for funsies, if we doubled everything, I mean, I don't have to do any math, but you're talking about like 2.6 million people, <clears throat> you know, who who just took advantage of the system. And I almost would be interested. I know there's been a lot of, um, I don't know if you looked it up or anything. Uh, you said you have an article, but I know there are others. Um, I know there are some headlines out there about, um, you know, they've done some, uh, a fair number of reviews uh, as to where the COVID funds have gone so far. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've already cracked some, cases so i think it'd be interesting to go back and look at those headlines of how many people have already been busted for covid fraud and see how that jives with these kind of projected fraud numbers that would be really interesting to me to, to sit here and look at those <laughs> the actual versus projected right well the only other thing i had uh, regarding uh something about this article was that it also talks about how, um, you know, all these businesses are putting out incentives to get people to come into work. And you have Joe Biden out there saying, you know, that's, that's a really good thing because it's a, a, a worker's economy. Which, it's not really a worker's economy if they're the companies are competing with the government. They're not competing, really competing with each other. I mean, in a sense, they are. They always are. Uh, you know, that's how business works. But they're not offering these incentives because, you know, Joe's Pizza Shack wants everybody from Larry's Pizza Pub to come work for him. It's because Joe wants people to come off their asses from home to work. 
that's I guess that's all I had regarding that topic in that article. I kind of have my own different opinion about the current predicament that we're in because as a larger backdrop you have to keep in mind that automation is just right around the corner and this is one of the things Andrew Yang was running around talking about during his campaign in you know the last cycle when Joe Biden won um, is he was talking about how automation was going to take over Nobody, no Americans were going to have any damn jobs anymore. Even truckers weren't safe. Just hauling stuff from coast to coast was going to be gone and dead. Um, and I know it's right around the corner. That I've seen footage. They have burger flipping machines. When you go into McDonald's, they already have the iPads. They want you to put your order in on. Um, I'm sure in some places it is all automated already. But... It's not where I live. Thank God there's still real people and I don't want it to go away. But I kind of see all this as like a gimmicky sideshow because there's not really manufacturing here. The movement to bring manufacturing back here didn't get off the ground, I feel like. I mean, the whole Trump presidency is dead and gone now. It's a it's yesterday's news. Um... I mean, where are the factories that these people are going to go work in? And and I just saw an interesting article the other day about how Frito-Lay right now, they're still an American company. They're, all their workers are on strike, and they're already union. They're all currently, right now as we speak, on strike. They've got good, cushy jobs, and they're striking, man. <laughs> I can't believe it in a time when... Um, you know, I mean, I just feel like that's the whole attitude is nobody wants to work. And I'm telling you, automation is right around the corner. And I feel like this is a one last go of it to just say, you know, sort of in a weird way, give the people as much money as they can. If somebody comes in and takes a job from you, give them a $3,000 sign-on bonus. Pay them $15 an hour because... I think it's going to be less than 10 years before. I mean, I don't know what somebody's going to be doing. Only the dirty jobs, like that television show. Somebody's still going to have to go clean shit out of backed up pipes. But I don't know who's going to be making pencils in America or potato chips or anything. Well, I think it's coming eventually, but I think it'll be a little bit, definitely more than 10 years. I don't know. Only time will tell. All right, well, does that move us on to... I don't see an easy transition, but... How about does that move us on to the hard topic of January 6th? I think maybe you had a... Oh, yeah. Um, we can move on to that. I don't know how uh, much we'll cover on this, but I was watching a video, a uh, Fox clip of Jesse Waters... Love him. And, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> Although, uh, I'm, at least I used to make jokes about him being uh, Bill O'Reilly's little bitch boy when he was on a show. Well, he was, and thank God for Bill O'Reilly and the start he gave Jesse, or we'd, we wouldn't have that, that pleasure. 
That's true. That's true. But uh, he was, uh, he had Glenn Greenwald on, who I believe was like one of the co-founders of the independent uh, newspaper. Uh, I don't think he works for them anymore. I recognize the name Greenwald for sure. Yep. But he was originally talking to, um, he was talking to Jesse Waters about um, the whole FBI plot with um, the governor thing, Gretchen Whitmer. And how FBI? Wait a minute! Wait a they, minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Get into this. What are you talking about? FBI plot with Governor Whitmer in Michigan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it came out like last week or like over the weekend, I think, maybe Friday. That um, there were several like FBI informants that had been part of like. Uh, a sting? Uh, orchestrating. Yeah, kind of like orchestrating the plots that people were trying to do to kidnap the governor. If you remember that. Well, I do remember the plot to kidnap the governor, but that's been a way back. And I've been on vacation. I haven't been really watching the news that well. So I don't know wh- at all what you're talking about, about the FBI. and They have a development on, on that, that old story. Yeah, I'll do my best to uh, explain the background of the news stories best I can. But there's like several members in that group that was supposedly part of the plot where FBI informants and or possibly agents. I don't know about agents, but definitely informants. And they were found to have been like paying for dinners and hotels to recruit people to be part of the plot. And from my understanding, that's usually not how an informant is supposed to operate. Usually they just kind of, they're passive, you know, a little more passive. They don't usually try to recruit people into the crime, if you will. Does that make sense? Well, yes, um, because... Traditionally, you know, like let's say before the internet, um, traditionally you would have to participate in a crime if they like asked you to curry drugs or take a hit on some, kill somebody or something like that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, just sitting around collecting audio, just having conversations, being here at a certain place, just being backup, carrying a gun, just walking around, being part of the mafia, that wouldn't really you know, push the envelope. But what you're saying, you know, getting online and trying to cast out a big net to catch people up into this plot, um, that sounds Mm -hmm. really bad, I think. I mean, no, surely no agent should be comporting themselves that way. Right. Well, um... So they, Glenn Greenwald and Jesse Waters were talking about that, how you know, there's a report that the FBI may have been way more involved in it than they should have been. I think that's... Well, I understand. Wrap up. Yeah. Right, yeah. So then Glenn Greenwald made the point that if the FBI was so entrenched in this plot, he actually made two, two points. Let me get to the first one. Um... 
he said like, traditionally, like you know, we we kind of seen this before, like right after nine eleven, how the FBI was going around busting terrorist plots and stuff like that, and it later turned out that they had kind of set him up. And Glenn Greenwald made the point that if there was really a terrorist problem going on, you wouldn't need to orchestrate plots to catch them in. They'd be doing it on their own. And he says this in relation to the fact that the DOJ is considering you know, white supremacy the most dangerous domestic terrorist uh, threat to our country right now. Well, you have to remember, I find, you know, this might be too much for air, and you might have to cut this out if you find so, but you have to remember, I mean, I can send you links. This is factual. I can, you know, if anybody cares... The Democrats have done this before. Um, I mean, it might have been Bush and Bush Jr. who pushed the whole terrorism and weapons of mass destruction thing. And I get that. That's its own terrible stain on the American record. And it's its own type of boogeyman. And it the whole Patriot Act was a, was a way to abuse patriots, not to aid patriots. It, w- it was a terrible act that ended up you know, biting us all in the butts. But um, it was the Democrats who instituted the KKK. Okay? So I just see, they talk about Jim Crow 2.0. I see this, them, Biden, as KKK 2.0. Because this whole running around saying, the white man's out to get you. Huh! It's just like they did in the 60s, except it's not as uniform. They don't do it in the dead of night. They don't lynch. You know, they don't set um, front lawns and fields on fire anymore. But they're doing it again. They're going around in a white robe, the white robe of white supremacy, and they're saying, boogie, boogie, boogie. Well, I mean... The main point that I was trying to get to with Glenn Greenwald um, in January 6th was if the FBI knew, not knew, but was, if the FBI was potentially so involved in the plot with the kidnapping of the Michigan governor, how much did they actually know? About January, January 6th. 6th. Yes. I totally see how it all, it arches. That's the arch. It all comes back here. It's the redeeming point of the story. Yes, I totally understand. I mean, because you can talk to any Trump supporter you know. And we feel about the same as liberals. I just heard an interview where a liberal book writer, I don't know, she's some, she's not a literature t- type, because I'd probably know her better, but... She she seems like a Hollywood type. She's worked with Scorsese and some things and uh, whatever. Um, but I was just listening to her talk about how January 6th was like one of the craziest things she's ever seen in her life. And she's seen some crazy things in her life. You know, she, she could tell you. But that's how I feel, too. I'm on the complete opposite side of the fence as her, and January 6th was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. You talk to any Trump supporter, it's one of the craziest things they've ever seen in their life. It was such a depressing day. It is not what was supposed to happen. It is not at all what was supposed to happen. 
according to anybody. I would have loved to have been up there. I think you and I even discussed going up there. But it was just, it would not have worked. There's no way we could have done it. We didn't do it. And thank God, huh? Because it seems like we would have been wrapped up in something much bigger than ourselves. I think it was bigger than Trump. Right. I ended up going back. I don't have anything for the audience at this moment as far as a timeline, but I have studied the timeline before. And most people who were there to see Trump were at the rally in front of the White House. And it takes a Mm -hmm. good couple minutes, a good while for a mob to walk from the White House down to the Capitol. It is a couple of blocks. And what's crazy is they start breaking into the Capitol at like the same moment that Trump is wrapping up his speech. He like hasn't even finished his speech yet when they start breaking in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen a video of uh, Steven Crowder going through the timeline. He's pointed out the same thing. He Trump is still over on the other other side of town. I mean, not literally, but he's not. He's still talking. A couple blocks away. He's still a couple blocks away when the breaking starts. Yep, and he has already said to people that they should peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard and they were all supposed to do it together remember he said i might even see you there i know that was part of it he was considering going down there himself but when all that craziness started of course he couldn't go that's not what he would have wanted i don't see how they argue for it yeah i don't either um but i I wouldn't be surprised if in, you know, I don't think it's going to come out during this sham commission of Nancy Pelosi's, but in another year or two, I wouldn't be surprised if we get more reports about uh, the FBI knowing a lot more than they're leaning on or that they're making us think they know. Well, it's all very interesting. Hello, listeners. You just heard part one of the Marathon Session. This episode will be released in three parts. If you're listening to this part on the day it came out, part two will be released on Wednesday, and part three will be released on Friday. We hope you enjoyed what you heard so far. Please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcast, and we thank you for listening.